as of today, I have a small suitcase, a small box with food and blankets. So, yeah, and I'm not unpacking that until they say the war is over. It's really hard to ignore what's going on in Ukraine right now. You can't miss the images, the video, the stories that are coming out of that country. I had an opportunity to visit with Kent and Inga Friesen. They are living in Ukraine and right now have no plans to leave. I am so grateful for the time that they gave me. I recognize time is very precious to them as they are busy helping others manage their way through this crisis. They don't tell us exactly where they are living in Ukraine because, really, they don't want that information to get out. We learn a little bit of what their daily life looks like now, how they're dealing with air raid siren practice, and how we can help them. How long have you been in Ukraine? I've been all my life. I was born here. (laughs) So it's my hometown. And I've been here for 21 and a half years as a missionary. So... Basically, a good chunk of your life has been there, Kent. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly significant part. Right, right. Now, we aren't going to say where you are um, for safety's sake, but um, needless to say, you're in the middle of all that's going on. We watch the news probably too much sometimes to see what's going on and over-educate ourselves maybe. But what... What are your days looking like right now? What has the last, you know, I know it's not been a stable uh, space for a while, but what has the last week looked like for you guys? Um, a lot of, uh, definite, uh, a lot of um, stress, chaos. Um, d- different kind of busy that we're not used to, at least I can speak for myself. Um, A lot of unknown, Uh, nothing that you can plan and do. Uh, A lot of immediate necessary decisions that I think would be something that people in emergency face every day. That's, I think, where we're at right now. What would you be usually spending your days like? Um, Well, I teach English, and I actually, since COVID hit the earth, I've been just teaching at home. So my days were basically from 10 a.m. until 6.45 p.m. teaching. Students coming to our home, students leaving our home, Sometimes online because actually Ukrainian people preferred to to do classes face to face. Those were my days, and then just like a regular person's week would be grocery shopping, cleaning, and cooking, Bible study, church. Probably not much what you guys are doing. Yeah, so so the similar. Your days used yeah. to look. That's what your day... How about you, Kent? What did your days used to look like? Uh, Before COVID, again, it was quite different. Hmm. Um, But after COVID, it was um, a focus switch more to online, um, trying to do meetings and um, maybe with... I was also working with 
teachers and students of English here, nationals, in the schools. Um, and so that obviously changed a lot when COVID hit. So I started um, reaching out and networking and trying to find international resources, uh, conferences or seminars or um, ways to enrich the students and teachers here. Okay, so you're working with students generally. That's what you have been doing the last many years. Now things mm -hmm. are looking a little different. Are you still working with your students in some capacity as you're dealing with with the current state of Ukraine? Not in a teaching role. And the meetings that I was having are have canceled, of course. Um, but there's still opportunity to meet with students like Inga could explain a situation today. Uh, but people are scared and they're concerned and they're not sure what to do. And so we find opportunity to meet with them or to talk with them on the phone or encourage them to um, look to God in this time. Mm -hmm. um, I'll let Inga tell you about a meeting she had with some students today, if she wants to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's uh, different, definitely different. Like, as I said before, I wake up and I think, oh, this is what I want to do. I just want to go to the border and distribute food, talk to people, pray with people. Or I just want to go to the church where refugees are being fed and, and, you know, serve food there. Something that I have done in the past and I know how to do, but I face a lot of unknown myself these days. And unknown is connected to something like students calling and saying, can we just meet to pray? Because teenagers are very scared. Uh, they don't know what it's like not to have money to party, not to have money to go somewhere, you know. And right now their parents are facing struggles, and those struggles are very unknown for kids, and they don't know what to do with themselves. And they don't understand why parents are buying 10 boxes of pasta or a sack of potato right now because they have never done that before and why all of a sudden they need it. Um, so those are the things like today I'm at with my students and we talked and we prayed and I explained a lot of stuff to them and and at some point I realized or I saw myself in their age when I was talking to a lot of elderly that went through world uh, second world war mm. and i was like oh my goodness that's where i'm at right now they're looking at me in the same way i looked at those elderly people and that was kind of neat but yet sad <laughs> yeah so yep so you are spending your days quite differently facilitating um, I'm part of a, a message group that you share kind of highlights of your day. You've been spending time facilitating, trying to find um, items for people in need. Can you explain exactly uh, you know, what, what you've been doing, Kent? 
um, networking, trying to coordinate relief efforts here, and in a way, just trying to plan um, how to be involved. So we also, through our organization, the missionary organization that we're working with, um, they've started a fund for us, a relief fund. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of our, um, I guess, initial involvement was making people aware and even this opportunity to raise funds to finance the relief that was going to be needed here. Um, now we're looking around, and it's an interesting observation that Inga has made, that today um, there is a lot of response and people are really digging in and and helping wherever it's needed and using their own resources even. But in a couple of weeks, as the war drags on, um, assuming that it will, those resources are going to be out. People are not going to have money. They're not going to have goods. Food is going to be in shorter supply. Um, <clears throat> and so we're trying to prepare in advance for those times and trying to um, gauge what we can do now but also be ready for the long term so that when when the needs are even greater and the resources are beginning to run out, then how can we be the most effective? Right. So you are providing relief to people in your community already. How how many people would you guess are kind of rolling into your community? Mm, that's a good one for Inga to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, as of uh, right now, over, well, in the last day, it was over 60,000, and our town is only 120,000 population. So wow. it's pretty much every day between 40 to 60,000 people coming through our town. Some are staying, some are going into different countries. It's a huge, huge wave of people, and not something we were prepared to deal with. Where are all these people staying? Government has taken schools and resorts and hotels and turned them into shelters. Hmm. And then people are just trying to connect with whoever they know. They might have family or friends here in our town that they can stay with or just using their connections. If somebody knows somebody that knows someone, who's willing to put up a family. It seems like people have a place, but, hmm. um, yeah, we don't know how long that's going to last. And as the people continue to come, as space runs out and food runs out and money runs out, then there will be probably a spike in crime we can anticipate. Hmm. Um, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of complete even bewilderment, not knowing what's happening and what's going to happen. Like Inga said, a lot of the people are moving on. They're maybe here for a couple of days or a day or two, and then they've got means by which they can leave Ukraine. Uh, but it's also only limited to women and children and seniors, basically, who can leave the country. 
men between the ages of 18 and 60 are required to stay. Wow, so you're seeing a lot of fatherless families walking past you. Yeah, we don't see it quite so obviously right. yet. Okay. But but we know that it's probably not long. Um, just an example, there were we were driving the other day. Um, we had bought some sweet rolls and we're going to distribute them to a kind of a makeshift eating center here in town. One of the restaurants uh, just opens it, opened its doors and is feeding the refugees. So we brought some sweet rolls to them and had some leftovers. So we went to the border where there are cars lined up, uh, people waiting to cross to leave Ukraine. And we just distributed some rolls there. But um, even the next day, that line was more than twice as long, I would say, extending probably for about eight or nine kilometers. Oh, wow. Of cars just sitting, people waiting to go. Yeah. Yeah. Approaching the border from from two different directions in the town. Mm -hmm. Wow. So a lot of people just, like, literally just waiting. Yeah. And the border... Um, is processing them as quickly as possible. But the ones that are joining the line today, they might wait two to three days. And don't want to leave the line to go get food. No. Right. There are also, it's neat, there are also people in the community who um, have taken it on themselves to to bring food to these people. Um, at one point in the line, we saw somebody just set up something simple and cooking whatever they could cook to distribute to the people there. How do you feel about your community when you see things like that happening? It's encouraging to see people coming together. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned you were um, preparing for air raid tests and getting your basement ready. Tell me what that was like. <laughs> Different than expected. <laughs> um, in the part of town where we live, if we wouldn't have been standing right close to our balcony, the door open, we wouldn't have heard the, the air raid siren. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so there's a little bit of improvement <laughs> to be made there. But we went down to the basement with others living in our apartment complex and then the next day or the day after we got um, a notice from the military saying that it's actually not safe to go down into your basements because if your building if the structure is demolished then all of that weight and everything is going to be on top of the basement and there will be no way for you to get out so everything that we experience and hear and read it basically goes back and forth not only from day to day but sometimes hour to hour how do you guys prepare for something like that the way i prepare myself and him i just keep telling him you realize that you'll have to move faster you realize we'll have to like run now 
take time to put on shoes or anything like that. And he says, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how I'm preparing myself. So do you feel like you're kind of always in a constant state of readiness? I am. I got everything ready, even though two weeks ago I thought it was nothing but a joke also. Um, but as of today, I have a small suitcase, a small box with food and blankets. So, yeah, and I'm not unpacking that until they say the war is over. Yeah, we don't know um, if or when, but if there would be a strike on our building, then we would obviously need to to find somewhere else to go. And so it's best to have something in an emergency ready that you can just grab and go because mm -hmm. there's no planning, no thinking, no um, the shock at that time and the, the urgency would not allow for delay. Right. Inga, you mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation that you um, headed to the border to help out. What what did you do there? What did you see? Um, I uh, The conversation with you, that was actually, I just, I have been dealing with the border for three good days because we have missionary friends uh, in Czech Republic that have raised a tremendous amount of mattresses and sleeping bags and fleece blankets, something that's needed here, disposable plates and cups. And as of like two days ago, the border was willing to let the van or two vans even go through. And as of today, the border refuses to do that. Um, the government has decided that all the humanitarian um, stuff will be taken by the government and it's going to be sent and given to where they feel is necessary to do. And so what I'm trying to do is constantly to deal with someone, find ways to bring what people have raised to bring here and give it to the people they want it to be distributed. And that is... Um, a very difficult thing to do because we, I guess my generation, we have never faced the war. And so there are a lot of things that are, they're just constantly changing the laws, the, just everything is very fast in change. And I just can't keep up with it. Mm. So I have to pray and I have to Ask God to help us, give us ideas how to bring the stuff that a lot of people want to send this way. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. And then at the border, we just gave out food. And that was kind of it. You had mentioned uh, previously that you had spent some time with a friend uh, going to the border and she had to drop off her son. Did I understand that correctly? Uh, yeah, that was actually happened yesterday, and that was kind of, um, um, that was actually our ex-landlord. <laughs> we, we just met, I don't know how many years ago, maybe six, seven years ago. Uh, she's a single mom. She's a very neat woman, and, um, she's in her 50s, and her son is nine years old, and, um, 
she just made a decision to to go because she in in the age that she is in right now even even if the war will be over soon her income will be very tight hmm. uh in the next year or two and so she feels like she has the responsibility to provide for her son and she has friends in Germany that have been asking her for the last five days just to come and that they would help her. And that has been a very difficult decision for her to leave because she has home here, you know. Mm-hmm. Everything she knows is here. And that was a little bit, it was hard mm-hmm. to let them go. And then we went back into their house to lock things up. And it felt so empty, like, just so empty, like, the feeling like you get when someone passes away and you go back to that place and they're not there anymore. So that was very, very sad for me. Yeah, I can imagine. They're almost there after 24 hours. Okay. They're so almost you're in Germany. Oh, that's good. It's good to hear those yeah. things, right? Yep. Come. I think I lost you guys. And that was where we got cut off. So we did a little bit of phone tag, and I tried to wrap up our conversation because phone time is precious. Um, They uh, somehow uh, cut off the time lately, like you can't talk on the phone long somehow. Yeah, well, that makes sense. What would you like to communicate to us that aren't living in Ukraine right now under, you know, war? That's not an easy question. I know. Um, like, we've lived in Ukraine, and when I think about how news of war in other countries affects me, um, it's difficult to respond in a compassionate way if you don't have some connection to that country. The one thing I guess I would just ask is that they pray for the situation. Um, for the most part, any help that Ukraine is receiving from from other nations is kind of at an arm's length. Nobody wants to get into the pit and, and fight in this situation. Hmm. Um, so I realized months ago, even before the war started, just when everything was escalating and building up to it, I realized that um, I can be upset or angry with the the lack of help or with the apparent complacency, but it doesn't really do any good. And then I realized that it doesn't matter anyway what any allies or anyone else would do. Um, The only way Ukraine gets out of this is if God steps in and does something amazing. And so my prayer has been that um, he would do that, that he would settle all of this in a way that would leave the world with no choice but to give him all the honor and glory. Hmm. And that would maybe add to my dear Steinbeck <laughs> family and friends and those that know me, I know. Um, I have come to realize um, the sacrifice that God did for us by sending his son. This is so so clear right now for me because I realized there is nothing more important on this earth than someone's life and I would just so like to encourage you guys to 
continue treasuring each other, continue spending time with each other, pray with each other, encourage each other, because that's what I have seen and every time I came there. And that was, for me, that was like a very powerful thing. I have never met such loving and caring people like my dear Steinbeck. That's what I keep calling you. <laughs> so just, it's very clear to me now why God has sent his son for us. And I'm actually, at this point, I'm willing to give my life for someone, too. And, yeah, that's kind of what I would like to encourage you with. Well, thank you, guys. If, if, <laughs> I'd, I'd, if, I really don't know what to say. I don't know how to respond to that. We watch very closely at what's going on over there. And it is difficult, right? I will tell you, there's lots of displays of love and appreciation for Ukraine right now. Even last mm -hmm. last night at the Jets game, Ukrainian choir sang the Ukrainian national anthem before they sang the Canadian anthem, and it impacted a lot of people, even just something as simple as that. Yeah. We know that there's a lot of love and a lot of support and a lot of prayer going up for Ukraine. We've um, witnessed that, heard it. Um, felt it and um, without that there's really no way um, that we could have peace there's no way that we could deal with things the way that um, we seem to be able to and we know that it's not in our own strength mm -hmm. um, probably one day we'll look back and, and ourselves be shocked at what transpired and and how God carried us through it. How can we help? Feeling so far away, how can we help you tangibly? Is there a way for us to tangibly help you? We personally, um, we're doing okay, like financially, materially, and everything. We have a, a support structure set up through our missionary organization. There is a link that we could provide it through Teach Beyond, our organization. And if somebody would like to give, donate toward the relief effort here, um, we could make that link available to you. That would be great. Thank, thank you. you, Carly. Yeah, thank you again. so much for your time, guys. I really, really appreciate it.